This evening we are going to look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 21 through 34. And if I'm going to read those verses to you. So if you'd like to uh, follow along, you can uh, use your worship folder. You feel free to just listen. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. And this is Jesus. And, and Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests and its shade. As we continue our study of Mark, I want to remind you of something that, that we saw at the very beginning of Mark's gospel. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. In Jesus' day, the Jews of Jesus' day, they didn't need uh, to be reminded that the kingdom was coming, that God was going to show up again and do a great work of deliverance, that he would restore the kingdom of Israel and free them from their oppressors and their enemies. But what they needed to understand was that the kingdom of God was present in Jesus' ministry. That's the big issue that we confront as we continue our way through Mark chapter 4. When Jesus is now in this this great chapter, in chapter 4 of Mark, where he is uh, telling his parables. It's one of the most, uh, the only other place in Mark where we see more direct teaching of Jesus is later on in Mark chapter 13. And Jesus wants us to understand, not just that the kingdom is coming, but that it has come in his ministry. So if we're to understand the kingdom of God and what it means for God to show up finally and fully, we have to look at Jesus and his ministry. For in Jesus, God has started over, as it were. But as we've seen so far in the first three chapters of of Mark, there have already been a number of reactions to him. And there is a wide variety. Some have reacted and responded with great enthusiasm. 
Some are outraged. Some want him dead. Some are saying that he's actually demonic, that he has absolutely no uh, relationship to the God of the Old Testament at all. He has nothing. He's actually an enemy of this God. They're outraged. So the question arises in the midst of these various responses, is, is this how God's kingdom is really supposed to come? Is Jesus' ministry what it's supposed to look like? Or is there something else? Now, perhaps you struggle with this in the same ways that those who saw Jesus' ministry struggled with it in his day. Perhaps you're here this evening and you struggle with confusion or disappointment or frustration or even outrage at what God is or is not doing in your life. Perhaps in our city or even elsewhere in the world. And I put it that broadly because the Bible claims that the good news of the kingdom isn't for a small group of people in the ancient Near East. But the good news of the kingdom is for the nations. Past, present, and future. That this good news is for everyone. And perhaps you find yourself tonight in various places with the various kinds of attitudes or dispositions towards this good news. And so if that's you... You need to listen carefully to what Jesus has to say. His teaching on the character of the kingdom in these parables that we find towards the end of Mark 4. Because the degree to which Jesus' teaching in these parables takes root in your life is the degree to which you will grow in humility and hope. And those are two things that we need. Humility and hope if we're to understand the good news of the kingdom. Because those two things that we get from Jesus, those are the two things and those alone that enable us to actually participate in the kingdom. To serve in the kingdom as he has served us. So what I want to do is look at this passage for three things that we need. We need, we need to pay attention We need to grow in humility. We need to grow in hope. So first, let's look at Jesus. Here he calls us in verses 21 to 25, specifically in verse 24. We need to pay attention. He says, pay attention to what you hear. Now, why does he do that? There are, again, we're in this chapter on parables. And verses 10 through 12 earlier in chapter 4, in many ways, are parallel to these Verses where Jesus is, is primarily concerned with a problem that we have. Every one of us needs to ask, and that is the problem that we would be superficial hearers of his message. That we might hear what he has to say, and for various reasons, whether it be uh, pride, whether it be self-righteousness, whether it be doubts, skepticism, whatever, we would fail to hear the good news that he brings. And therefore, he is primarily concerned with how we hear him, not just what we hear. And I was thinking about this, reminded of a, a very old writer who 
I think, sums this up well. He puts it like this. It is not hasty hearing, but serious meditating upon holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. It is not the bee's touching of the flower that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower that draws out the sweet. It is not he that hears most, but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. So Jesus is telling us right up front, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to how you hear. And if you have a hard time hearing, you need to ask yourself why. But Jesus doesn't call you to pay attention without, at the very same time, giving you a reason to do so. Which he does here in verse 21 when he tells us this brief parable about the lamp. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And he says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. See, Jesus, what he's saying here in this brief little parable is that the parables, these stories he's telling us, they're not meant to keep things from you. They're meant to reveal things to you. Parables hide in order to reveal. That's how they work. And what Jesus is saying here, he's essentially saying, what you most need to know, you cannot go search out on your own. I need to tell it to you. I need to show it to you. And I need to show it to you in a way that fits what you're like. And Jesus tells us these stories, these parables, in order to help us to see things that we might otherwise not see. But notice what he says. He says here, he's giving you confidence. He's giving you reliability. He says, nothing is hidden, nor anything secret, except to come to light. Those are pretty broad terms. Nothing, anything. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have come to give you everything you need to know, to understand the good news of the kingdom. And furthermore, it's interesting to note, I I generally don't like to um, pull apart details of uh, translations, but I I need to tonight on this one, because in verse 21, where it says, Jesus begins, he says, is a lamp brought? Uh, The original text here actually describes the lamp as the subject of the sentence. There's a definite article before the lamp, the word lamp in verse 21. And so I would prefer it to read this The question would begin, does the lamp come in order to? Does the lamp come in order to? Now, why is that significant? Because later in in John's gospel, Jesus actually identifies himself as, I am the light of the world. Jesus in his parables is telling you, "I I am the lamp who has come to shed light. I am the one who's been sent to reveal to you the good news of the kingdom. And here Jesus, he wants you to have confidence, 
to know that though the parables are difficult, they are challenging, they confront, they convict, they even bewilder, that he, he, he is the one who has come to work through those parables to enable you to see the character of God's kingdom in ways that you otherwise would not. And because he is the lamp, when verses 24 and 25, we see he gives us a promise and a warning. In other words, Jesus, he tells us, you can trust me to reveal to you the good news of the kingdom. Therefore, he pay attention. As you hear what I am teaching and you wrestle with it and you come to me with it, I'll add more to it. See, what Jesus is helping you to realize here that there, it's more than just, in verse 24, it's more than just you get what you put in. It's not quite that um, uh, 50-50. What Jesus is saying here, when you pay attention, His grace will overflow. He will add to you more and more. He will disclose to you who He is, the good news of the kingdom, more and more. In other words, if you find it hard, if you struggle to understand, don't give up. Because Jesus says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. But He also gives a warning. Verse 25 He says, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. His point here is that superficial hearing is not neutral. Superficial hearing actually atrophies. That there actually is a hardening that happens. In other words, when Jesus says, there is nothing hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light... There's only two ways you can go. You will either be softened by the light he sheds, or you'll be hardened by it. And therefore, he says, pay attention. Pay attention. Now, when Jesus says, he says, pay attention, but he does so specifically with respect to the good news of the kingdom, the character of the kingdom of God. And so the parables that follow here, while well, they, they, they speak to a variety of questions that we may have, which I could list, but I'm not going to take the time right now. They speak to any number of questions we may have about what the kingdom is like, how it comes, what we can look for and expect. But they also cultivate in us humility and hope. And they cultivate... Humility and hope that we need if we're actually going to receive the answers that these parables give to our questions. So we need not only for Jesus, we need not only just to, to pay attention, but we also need to grow in humility. So look in verse 26 to 29. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows. But he doesn't know how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, 
Parables, I'll just be honest with you. They are some of the hardest parts of the New Testament to understand. And the temptation is is to look for details in the parables and and pluck them out and try to pair them up with things that maybe are a little bit more concrete. And there are certainly some parables in which that's that's the case. I would actually say that the, the parable, the lamp we just looked at, is might be one of those. But in this parable and the next one, the mustard seed, I want you to resist that temptation. And instead, I want you to think about both of these parables as analogies to the kingdom of God as a whole. Not in their details. But as a whole, these short stories give you a window in on the character of God's kingdom. And in this case, this first one, it's vital to understand that the kingdom is God's kingdom. It's not our kingdom. That's what this parable is saying. That the kingdom is God's kingdom. It's not our kingdom. And even more than that, we don't understand or even cause its process or its growth. But instead, what we see here, that the process is as inevitable as the seed growing and producing fruit for harvest. Take a look here. Here we have this this story where this farmer, he sows seed. But he has no idea how it grows. It grows all by itself. The the word here produces by itself in verse 28 is actually where, where we, from which we get automatic. He doesn't know how it happens. He goes about his day, goes to sleep, wakes up, time passes, but yet his crop continues to grow. And it is a profound statement to us that our involvement, our relationship to the kingdom is fundamentally, it, is God, it must be God-centered. That God is the one who makes his kingdom flourish. And this parable assures us that what has begun in Jesus' ministry, it will lead to the full realization of all that he promises and all that he has come to do. And therefore, what's really significant for us, I think it's, it's particularly a temptation for Christians who are competent, capable, who have aspirations for uh, making a difference in the world, all of which are really good things. It is really easy and tempting to begin to believe that it is our job to make the kingdom grow. And I have to tell you, the Bible does not teach that. What the Bible does teach, though, we do not cause the kingdom, but we are called to be servants of the kingdom. And those are two very different things. We are called to be servants in the kingdom. And we see it actually implied in the man who sows. The implication here is that the man... He daily tends to his crop. He serves it. He takes care of it. He values it. He watches it. But all of that doesn't cause it to grow. It grows on its own. And so 
absolutely central to understanding your role and place in the kingdom of God is as a servant. That our call is to serve the kingdom. It is not our job to cause it to grow. We simply don't have that power. And that takes humility. That means that in many ways we have to repent of our great ideas. We need to have measured humility about what we expect. When it will happen. How long it will take. What the outcome will be. But what we can have great confidence in is that the kingdom of God will reach its fulfillment. Because in Jesus Christ, it has come. It has begun. And He will see to it that it will reach its end. So not only do we need to pay attention, we need to grow in humility. But what we see in the growing seed here is that it not only cultivates humility for those who hear this parable, but also confidence that what God has begun in Jesus will reach its promised end. And in the same way, the next parable of the mustard seed gives us hope that whatever Jesus' ministry looks like to us, within it lies the power to bring all the glory and splendor of God's kingdom. In other words, it cultivates hope. So we need to pay attention We need to grow in humility. We need to grow in hope. Let's look at this parable of the mustard seed in verses 30 to 32. In the same way as uh, the growing seed in the previous one, I want you to think about this parable as a whole. And it's an analogy to the kingdom. And what we discover here is that here is this seed that is described as being... The smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And perhaps that troubles some of you. Because you're probably going to find that there are other seeds that are actually literally smaller than a mustard seed. But what I want you to realize is a couple things. One, you need to know that Jesus is drawing on a proverbial understanding and saying of the day. In order to make a contrast between small, something small and insignificant and unimpressive that has latent within it the power to become great, far beyond what you could possibly imagine. That's his point in using the mustard seed and treating it and calling it as the smallest of all seeds. The point of the parable is the contrast. So while the previous parable talks about the growth of the kingdom, this parable highlights the greatness of the kingdom. But it's a greatness that perhaps is often almost impossible for us to see. And so here the basic point Jesus is making is that no one should be put off by what appears unimpressive. Like the tiny mustard seed which grows to a large plant, the kingdom is present even if hidden, unnoticed, or ignored Its full revelation with all its benefits will come. Jesus, this is particularly important because so much of Jesus' ministry, even in the Gospels, is questioned as how could this possibly be 
the way God's going to show up and make everything right. You just have to look again at the first three chapters of Mark and the variety of responses. Those that you would think would would identify with him and 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 uh, extol his name and get with his program think that he is against God, the religious leaders, the religious people, and the people who actually are drawn to him, who see in him hope and a future and good news are those you wouldn't think would get with him and his program. They're the irreligious people. It's an upside-down kingdom. And so Jesus, his ministry is not what we would say what people expected. So let me ask you, is Jesus and the way he's at work in your life creating confusion for you? Is he failing to meet the expectations that you have? Is he unimpressive to you? Does he seem insignificant or not present or not very powerful or not interested maybe? Are the ordinary small ways that he works, do those ways fail to capture your attention and your affection? It's a it's a warning. But it's also a parable of hope. Because in this parable, Jesus is telling us not to despise the small things of the kingdom. Because it's actually in those small things that we find the power of the kingdom. So for you and me, what, are, what might be some of those small things? It's showing up for worship. It's talking about your life with a trusted friend. It's a timely word. It's reading the Bible. It's praying. It's loving the poor. It's giving your time and money away. These are not popular things. They're not things that make headlines. But according to Jesus, they are how God's kingdom breaks in to your life and to your world, to our church, to our city. You see, the secret to growing humility and hope, where do you find these? How does this happen? See, both of these parables in the, of the kingdom of God here, they present Jesus' ministry, and they both tell us, they both teach us that it will come, that what He began will reach its fulfillment, that all that he has promised, it will come with all its benefits and its privileges, regardless of how unimpressive or insignificant it may seem now. So what I want you to think about with me is how, how can you be sure that this will happen? See, what I want you to think for a minute with me about is how in order for you to grow in humility and hope, I want you to think about the humility and the hope of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come merely to teach us about the kingdom. 
and what we can look forward to and how we can have hope in the present. But he actually came to secure your place in the kingdom. See, Jesus, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death. If if our call is to be a servant of the kingdom, how can you become that kind of servant? We simply don't have that in our DNA. It's only as you see Jesus serving you, even to the point of death on the cross, that when that good news begins to sink in and take hold of your heart and what he accomplished for you, will you begin to serve others the way he has served you? But also, what about the hope that Jesus shows? Jesus was born in Nazareth, a relatively insignificant city. He was born into a poor family. He was despised by the elites of his day. He was forsaken and abandoned by his friends. He was crucified outside the city as a criminal. He was a mustard seed. He was unimpressive. He was insignificant. But it was through Jesus' seemingly unimpressive and for all intents and purposes, failed ministry that God chose to reconcile all things through his blood. Now, I hope that gives you hope. I I know, not because I'm thinking of anyone in particular, but you're not that different from me. (laughs) We're probably a lot more alike than we are different. I know that you, many of you are struggling tonight. Perhaps it's a besetting sin. Perhaps it's doubts and fears. And you just feel like, I, I'm, I can't make it. And I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to look at how here we have a disfigured, rejected, despised Savior on a tree, crucified. For sinners. And it is through his death and resurrection that God the Father has promised to undo everything that's wrong in your heart, in your life, in our world, even if we can't see it yet. The harvest will come. The branches of the mustard tree will grow. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is the proof that it will come. So are you bewildered? Are you confused? Are you disappointed? Are you frustrated? Or are you even perhaps outraged by God? The antidote to all of those, they're found in paying attention to Jesus Paying attention to him to allow him to correct our distorted vision so that we might see what we would otherwise not see. And in doing so, experience the humility of the kingdom and the hope of the kingdom that he has come to give us in order that we might enjoy fellowship with him and serving him, participating in this great work that he is about to one day make all things new. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we 
reflect on these stories, these parables, that you would you would reveal to us the things that are hidden, the things that we cannot figure out or discern on our own, that are only given to us. They're gifts of grace. So we ask, Father, that you would make us humble, that you would make us hopeful, and that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, who is both of those for us. It's in his name we pray, amen.